Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harvey. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harvey. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, runners only with Dom Harvey. Runners only with Dom Harvey, and this week, an old friend of mine, maybe the future mayor of Auckland City, Leo Malloy. Maybe, poor man, maybe. Come on, there's no maybe about it, bro. You know that I'm going to be the mayor of the city, and running will be compulsory. You'll either running with me <laughs> or running away from me. One or the other, you choose. <laughs> now that is there, there's a, a that, that's the tie-in here. The podcast is called Runners Only, so every single guest I have on the podcast has running in common. So, I mean, I suppose you could joke that you are running for mayor, but also in a previous life you were a runner. A little bit of a runner. My short, fat legs don't do me great service when it comes to running. But yeah, I just changed my entire lifestyle and I thought I'd try the running game. And um, I wasn't much good at it, to be honest with you. It was bloody I disagree. Work. I disagree. You, you, you did a 312 marathon, which would probably put you in. I'm, I'm plucking this figure out of my ass, but I'm guessing the top 5% of all marathon finishers ever. Really? No. A 312, so. early threes, 100%. Well, I'll tell you how that some, some people spend their entire life trying to break a magic number like four hours or four oh, and I a half. Think, I think I could run one backwards in three and a half. So. <laughs> No, well, I did, because um, I'll tell you why. Um, my sister, Julie, had a boyfriend named Ken, I think his name was, and he had never done one. And I said, oh, mate, they're a walk in the park, trained for three months. And he said, I've got one in mind in about a month's time I've been training for. And I said, I'll, I'll do it with you out of sympathy. So without any training, I did a 328. But when I did the 312, some of my friends, Gary Ray, I mentioned before, he could knock off a, like a 225, 228. Wow. Um, easily. Um, but because he's tall, with long legs like you, and I was of the other persuasion, short with fat legs, and I wasn't very good at running, but he dragged me along and made me run. But when I went to vet school, a lot of people there were into things like running. But don't forget, the West Coast has a heritage running too, in case you forgot. Dave, um, who won the Boston Marathon? Dave McKenzie, the wee fellow with the bandy legs, worked for the Greymouth Evening Star, won the Boston Marathon. <laughs> Coleman Cray was a very, very good runner. Yeah. Eddie Gray was a great runner. So uh, we weren't the only people on the West Coast running. A lot of people around the Greymouth area were very athletic and into running. So I decided that I wanted to do a sub three, because I didn't think I was a runner if I couldn't do a sub three. So... I think on the, in the West Coast, my first one, I did 320-something. Then I did um, Commonwealth Games course in Christchurch, about as most fucking boring. Can I say fucking? Oh, of course you can. It's a podcast. You can yeah, say what you want. Most fucking boring marathon of all time, up and down. My Wait, just flat? Yeah, flat as a billiard table and nothing to aim at. You just go from telegraph pole to telegraph pole. Right. And then, incredibly, I flew myself in a helicopter from Palmy to Gisborne and did Gisborne, which was just as bad. So, excruciatingly, excruciatingly that's a big word for a little fella on a day like this, <laughs> boring, boring marathons. And then, but anyway, I decided I wanted to do a sub three before I retired after only about four or five attempts. So, I, um, the Coast to Coast was probably the best one because it was so incredible. Have you done that goat pass run? Yeah, I have. I did it last year. It was amazing. Mate, what a sensational run. And the yeah. year I did was the year of the big wet. So we, a lot of the time we were chest deep in water. They actually called the, that part of the Coast to Coast race off about half an hour after I went through. But um, that was the most amazing run. So invigorating to do that. And I'd go back and do that tomorrow. I'd probably walk at this time around, to be frank with you. 
But anyway, then I decided I wanted to do a sub three just to prove that I could run. So I trained hard in the local Harrier Club, and I did over the Pahia Tour track a few times. Oh yeah, yeah, that geez, run? that's steep. Yeah, mate, that's yeah. a run. <laughs> just um, outside of Palmerston North, there's a town called Ashurst, and it's just yeah. at the uh, foot of Ashurst. It's a serious, serious run because yeah. that hill yeah. doesn't end. Yeah, you know, you start on the hill, you think, oh, I'll get a breather in five minutes' time. Trust me, it ain't five minutes. Oh, that winds on forever. Hour and a half later, you're still climbing. So it's like a version of the um, what's the bike race they have in France? The Tour, <laughs> the tour, the, tour, tour de France. France. Oh, yeah, oh, come on, it is not. I know, when they do those hill climbs, though, and you think, when's this going to end? You know? but, yeah. That's how I felt going. And I did that run quite a few times, just in training. But I was determined to run a time, because I wanted to run a time. So so I did a half, and I busted my guts doing a 125 half. But I reckon then, that if you can do a 125 half, you can break three yeah. um, for the marathon. So I went up to Rotorua of all places, and I didn't have a pacemaker. And I had a very light support crew, as in one person with a water bottle at the end of the race waiting for me. But I went down the, I went through the turn well under... Um, one twenty-five half time, but I just blew my ass going up that hill. You know, when you, you know, when you chuck mm, up that long, yeah, it's not a very steep hill, but it's a long grinding hill. It was always going to be a hard one to go, hard course to do a sub three, and I mean, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's not the easiest. You probably that boring Christchurch one you were talking about from the Commonwealth Games. You probably needed that for a sub three. I think you need a pacemaker if you're going to, if you really yeah, aren't a very good yeah. runner like I'm not, and you want to do something like that. You're aiming fairly high, right? You know, the lofty heights for a five foot six inch. You know, little fat bugger. Mm. So um, it was quite tricky, yeah. But I tried to do it all on my own, and I just got the timing all wrong. So end up end up trudging home in three twelve and hurt for about a week afterwards. Oh, that's a good run though. I'm guessing it's probably easier now. Like, I've managed to do one sub three. I did a two fifty seven, but I I had like a GPS. You wouldn't have had a GPS watch on. No. Yeah, I mean it's easy to get your splits accurate at that. Yeah, what I should have what? had is a support person with me, either on a Vespa or a bike or something, who was saying, "Hey, slow down, slow down," because I do get, as you know, I can be fairly enthusiastic about life. Mm. A little bit hyped <laughs> up, jumped out of the barriers too quickly, early faded late. You know the story. Yeah. If I was a racehorse, I'd have been no bloody good. So I'm trying to say. Um, so why did you why did you give up running? You just get bored. I feel like you get bored of things. No, no, no that's not necessarily true. I end up with chondromalacia in my knee because when I trained for the coast to coast, I was doing bike riding and running simultaneously. And I pulled the patella. Do you know how your femur works? How the trochlear ridge works? Well, not really, uh, no. It's like if you're eating a chicken bone, it's the two knob bits at the end okay. and your patella runs up and down that. Okay. But when you um, bike a lot as well as running, you develop the um, lateral quadriceps a lot more than you do the medial side. So it tends to pull things slightly out of line. And chondromalacia, obviously, mal being bad, um, bad cartilage, so it grinds down to the bone. So my patella kept catching on the, on the lateral trochlear ridge, and um, that was no fun. Um, when it catches, it literally just... Everything freezes, and you've got to be really ballsy and brave and put it back in yourself. Like putting a dislocated shoulder back in, Jeez. or you have to take long term conservative therapy. Right. I suppose you could do things like um, stem cell transplants these days. Yeah. If I'd been a qualified vet in those days, I could have done it then. <laughs> done it to yourself. No, well, we do it a lot in, in horses and that, that type of thing. But yeah, you could have. But no, that's why. So I took a lot of time out. And after I'd taken the time out, to be frank, you know, as I said, I was a struggler anyway. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't a natural athlete. So. Do you miss it? You miss running? Um, I still go to the gym three days a week, and I, I love the camaraderie. I love the boxing these days. Yeah, I, I know you're, you're a very active guy. I see it, when I'm out running, I see you out walking quite a bit, and I, yeah. I see you on social media at the gym with Monty Beatham and others. Yeah. You know, yeah. I walk a lot. Um, I find that very therapeutic. So I look at the blue sky when I walk, and I find it is quite walking time is quality time. I quite often put my heads on, listen to podcasts, and but yeah, and I like the gym. I like the boxing. I like the I like the square office purely because you get a better class of person at boxing. And when you get in the How ring, so? What do you mean? Um, it takes a certain type of person to have an appetite for that yeah. sort of sport. It's a blood sport. Um, it's a physical version of politics. 
and I love blood sport. So when you get in, I actually had a little fight the other day as part of a condition of doing a TV show with a guy, fellow called Guy Williams. Do you know him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's a giant compared to you. He's a bloody good dude. So he's, yeah. he's 198, so he's 6'6 six, six or something. Yeah. I'm 5'6. So I gave him a foot in height. I gave him um, 35 kilograms in weight. And I gave him 30 years advantage. And he did play professional sports, so, albeit in a rather gangly style, if I may say so, if yeah. you're listening, Guy. But we had a whole lot of fun in the ring together. He was very kind and gentle. He spent a fair bit of time yeah. cuddling, not much time hitting each other. Yeah. But I did thoroughly enjoy it. I just find, I don't know what it is about boxing. There's some, I mean, do you know Joe Parker, for example? Yeah, I know Joe very well. Like, about as good a bloke as you'd ever meet yeah, on the planet. he's lovely. Just a champion fella. And I love the PI people. I, I love the humility. People like Monty Beetham and Kevin Mialama, who I've ended up being friends with, their humility is staggering because they're so good at what they do. Mm. They have this amazing humble streak, and this will come as a surprise to you, bald man, but I don't have that humble streak. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. There's a, a newish of Metro magazine out, and there's a quote in there from you saying, I am a man on fire. I'm unstoppable. Did um, I say that, really? <laughs> yeah, it's in there. Oh, I didn't know that. I, re- I saw the cartoon they did of me. I thought the cartoon was quite it's, it's quite nice, but it's like um, I, re- I read that and I laughed out loud because I've, I've known you for a long, long time, um, and I wonder like, how much of stuff like that is... Um, is you know, fake it till you make it, and how much of it is absolute self-belief. No, I, yeah, I'm on fire. No, that's that's true. I mean, that's what I am as a person. And someone said to me the other day about, uh, I have so many political advisors these days, and they do what I call pulling you out of shape. They did it to Judith Collins and completely destroyed what she was as a politician. Mm. And I refuse to be anything but the authentic Leo. And they keep saying to me, you've got to moderate, you've got to modify, you've got to change this, change that. I said, I can't, because I can't act. I'm Leo. I've always been Leo. I'll die Leo. And you, you've known me for how many years now? Yeah, maybe 30-odd years. And I've never yep. changed. Um, you know, I'm just, I am what I am. Mm. So I know that I'm different, but it doesn't bother me. I'm very comfortable in my own skin. And I know that if I start acting, I'll be exposed immediately as a fraud. And I know that then I'll have to lie because I have to mm. pretend I'm something that I'm not. Yeah. And I've never had to do that in my life, and I don't want to ever start doing it ever. So Now, we'll, we'll go through everything in a progressive order about um, where, where you've been, where you are, where you're going to. But at this point, we should probably... Say how we know each other. I was like a rising radio star. And I was a local celebrity in Palmerston North. I had the radio name Baldrick. You were never a celebrity, bald man. You I were was a little turd. <laughs> <laughs> just out of school. You hadn't had a shave. You had a pimply face. And you, we used to pat you on the head and say, get us a coffee. Long black. No, half I, a teaspoon of honey. You were I, everyone's run around coaching. <laughs> Mr. West used to treat you like shit your whole life. You were a subspecies. Let's make it absolutely clear. <laughs> No, I was a I was a big deal. I was a rising star of New Zealand radio. It was the Mike Weston Baldrick show. I was called Baldrick because uh, there was a TV show with Ryan Atkinson, Black Adder, that was on at the time. And, and that's Baldrick exactly what you were. You were a slave. Cra- you were a craven little wimp who was in the trenches. He wasn't brave enough to fight, and we treated you accordingly. <laughs> uh, so that's how I got to meet Leo because uh, Leo. I think that's shortly after you made the transition from vet to okay, so I'll talk you through hospitality. That. So let me make one thing clear, though. We had very low aspirations, and we aimed very low with you, bald man. <laughs> we saw you going absolutely nowhere in life, and I was staggered and amazed and gobsmacked when I got to Auckland and found out that you were a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why I've always called you Baldrick when I see you out running or walking or whatever. And people go, oh, no, that's Dominic Harvey. No, it's Baldrick, all right? Let's yeah, make that absolutely clear. Yeah, Leo's always, always called me that. There's, so there's aspects like that that you just never you never change. But you, I don't know if you remember this. It was probably nothing to you, but it was um, it was a very, very kind gesture to me. So I was probably 18, 19, maybe 20 at the time. I think I was still living at home with my parents. My dad wouldn't even lend me his brown Subaru legacy. And you, you and I had become like reasonably good friends, quite good friends. And... Uh, I think I um, 
forget how it came about, but it was like Boxing Day or something, and I gave you and your wife and Maria a ride to the airport. Marianne, yeah, she's still, Marianne, my, Marianne. She's still my good mate now. She's right. part of my political campaign. Yeah. Right. Is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's a great bird. Yeah, and up. and you, you, when I dropped you off at the airport, you you tossed me the keys to this um, BMW. It was uh, like a convertible thing with three two five eight cream leather seats, probably uh, with must, mustard coloured seats. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> and, and charcoal black, charcoal black with mustard mustard yeah. leather. Yeah. Probably worth more than my parents' house. And you you chucked me the keys and said, "Here, have this. Just pick us up when we get back." And I was driving around in this car for like a week. Yeah, that's not a big problem, though, is it? What's wrong with that? Oh, well, it was an outstanding level of trust, and uh, I was humbled by it. It was one of those things I'm I never. I'm sure forget. I rang the insurance company, Crombie Lockwood and Dime, and would have said, "Look, there's a weirdo driving my car around. Don't have him arrested." <laughs> but no, I don't think that's a big thing. That what's there's nothing in that. It's just a gesture, isn't it? Yeah. So well, no. Well, it, uh, it meant a lot to me at the time, and it's not one of those things I'll ever forget. I, I was talking to Monty Beetham about you, and I said, uh, you know, we were saying Leo is one of the most loyal people you'll ever meet. Yeah. Like, a did you pull any birds with that car that weekend? <sighs> Because I have been worried. <laughs> I sent it to the car cleaner and they couldn't get that map of Australia off the seat. Oh, if, if, if there was, if there was, if there was a, like a white coloured stain on the seat, it was probably aioli from the KFC burger. Because I did not even get lucky in that one hundred and fifty thousand dollar car. It wasn't one hundred and fifty grand. Yeah. I can tell you that. So, yeah. um, but you at that time, you you were you had the most successful bar in Palmerston North. You were a big deal. Like you had a bar called the Fat Lady's Arms, which um, I think uh, if you go back in the history of Palmerston North, which is a student town, I think most people would probably agree the Fitz is the most yeah. Iconic bar ever, but I'd say the second most iconic student bar ever is your one. The okay, so we got, we got lucky. Let's make that clear. I spent hardly any money, but I came up with that name, which was pretty edgy at the time, and not even sure it was grammatically correct, but it attracted a lot of interest. And as you know, I developed an advertising style where I decided that I would say the opposite of what I wanted and see how the market reacted to it. So my standard line was, um, if you've got homespun jerseys, your name's Hamish or Sarah or Victoria or Charlotte, don't come to Fat Ladies, we don't want you there. Uh, no molesting trousers, no R and William boots, no air tech shirts. Because that's what all the AG students yeah, were wearing. Go at the somewhere time. else, and of course they'd all line up ten deep. You'd open the door at four o'clock, and there'd be a queue of one hundred and twenty long to get in. So, and then I developed the fine art of um, saying exactly the opposite of what you meant, knowing that people would react accordingly. So, and I haven't changed in case you right, noticed. Right, um, but there, um, and there, there was um, this famous campaign you used to run all the time with ten cent points. Well, I was like a happy hour. I ran it for a while because I've always been a believer in lost leaders. I watch how the supermarkets operate, and all the big supermarkets run lost leaders. So. I wouldn't be able to do a 10-cent pint nowadays because the Alcohol Act has changed considerably, sure. so you've got to be compliant. But in those days, you're allowed to do it. But once again, though, it comes with responsibility. You couldn't sell 10 10-cent pints to one person because if they got pissed, it's your problem. And yeah, so it was, it was, I mean, it was kind of misleading, so it was served out of this little window at the front. So yeah, and one, if you're lucky, one pint you might, per person sure. at a time, and there'd be a queue of 30 people. So by the time yeah, it was a got, gimmick. Yeah, it was, it was a gimmick. gimmick. But, but your ads were a gimmick as well. Like, you, you, they stood out on the radio. Like, it was, yeah, fat lady's arms... This is in your voice. Best bar and garden bar in the world, and that's a fact. No, they were so no, abrasive. No, get, get your pitch and timing right. The best <laughs> bar in the world, and that is a fact. You've got to say, and that, pause, is a fact. They were not that mellow. <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> they were and people still repeat them to me now. It stood us in good stead in terms of um, where I've ended up in life and the rich history, the rich tapestry that I have behind me. Yeah. I don't think fat ladies. It changed the rules, but it didn't do any harm. You know, there was it was never a place. Oh, it was where fun. It was iconic. Yeah. But how many? That, how many did you end up with? Did it end up like a bit of nine of them? There was nine. Right. Yeah. yeah. Strange enough, every university we decided um, deserved one, warranted one, and then some weird places came out of the woodwork and wanted them, like Waikanae of all places. Mm. Like it's like God's waiting room, Waikanae. The average age about one hundred and twelve. <laughs> it's like it's like Tarong. <laughs> you just go there to wait to die. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, we had, did one in Waikanae, which I could never understand. But when Marianne and I split up, we split up. And in about 97, um, she got all those assets, so I largely detached from them and went into a different 
um, sphere mm. of hospitality. Yeah, what happened there? What happened with your first marriage? You want to talk about that or not really? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I, will, I own everything that I do wrong in life. So I had a, a fling. Um, don't know what came over me. You know, it was lasted for about a week. And then obviously it ruined our trust and ruined our relationship. And I saw the girl I had a fling with about five years later and there was no chemistry at all. It was quite bizarre. Mm. But at the time, for some strange reason, it just went like that, you know, and you just look at each other in the eye and you just knew. Like, where's this going to end? This ain't going to end well. So yeah, do, so, you th- do you think the marriage would have lasted otherwise, or do you yeah, think I'm it still was... really good mates of Marion? She's yeah. she's great, and um, the kids are great too. Donna and Nikki, they both live in Melbourne now. So no, uh, I it would should have lasted. It's all my fault. So yeah. having said that, you know, I got married again. I had five beautiful kids with my second wife. So so I can't complain. You know, everything in life is meant for a reason, really. So you just yeah. got to roll with it. What happened with the second one? Very good point. At the same age, 41, she decided to leave at 2 o'clock in the morning. We'd been to Toddy, Brent Todd's birthday party, and um, I just felt something wasn't quite right when we got home. We were living up on Arnie Road in Rimura, and she just said to me about one thirty-two in the morning as we got home, I was in brush your teeth mode and jump into bed, and she said, I'm going. I thought, oh, she's going to go and get a pie down at the gas station or something. <laughs> I said, where are you going? So I'm going. I'm taking the kids, and I'm going. And I just thought, oh, it's a joke. But sure enough, she got all the kids out of bed, and she went and never come back, so. That's right. I remember seeing you after that. You were you were devastated for a while. Yeah, you were heartbroken. Two, two you were trying years. to trying to win her back. Trying that, that really, really, really did, yeah. did destroy me. I had to go through a lot of deep, intensive sort of therapy to deal with that. Did one. you? So, yeah, and I don't think I've ever really recovered from it. To mm. be honest with you, you know, it's um, I've tried to put up a smoke screen in life and tried to pretend, but the reality is that was um, that was the one that it cut really, you deep. Really hurt me. Yeah. yeah. Would you say you were depressed at the time? Was I depressed? If I was, I didn't know about it, but mm. I went to therapy and everything. I mean, I yeah. had for fun times at therapy. I mean, the problem with I go to therapy, I've... It's like the therapist as a, and the audience member and you're a comedian. Yeah, well, that was, that, this is exactly what happens, and this is quite funny. So I rang up my mate, I won't mention his name, and I knew he had a few problems, and I said, listen, um, I need the best therapist in town. I'm pretty fucked up, so I need to get sorted out. He said, there's only one bloke to go to, go to this fella. So I went to this bloke's... A beautiful building and looked expensive and was expensive. So I've gone and went into the waiting room. He's called me and it's like going into the library of a sort of a professor, you know. So you sit down on the couch and he starts talking, asks you a couple of questions. And as I'm sure you know better than anyone, you ask me a question about 20 minutes later, you're still, you know, I'm still talking away, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> talking about something completely yeah, different. Left, yeah, yeah, well, off on a tangent. So on the, at the end of the fourth, le- uh, my fourth session, and I've got a feeling it was 200 quarter session, but it could be long, it might have been 150, but it was expensive anyway. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the fourth one, he said, um, Are you enjoying the whole experience? And I said, Well, I am, but I just wonder whether I'm getting fair value out of it. And he said, What do you mean getting fair value? See, well, I was hoping that you'd give me something by way of a mantra, something to chant inside my head. So if I'm having a dark moment, laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, um, you know, wondering what Ingrid's doing and blah, 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 then I need to have something that I can default to just to kind of um, tune myself out and, mm. and just relax. And he says, you know, I'd absolutely love to help you with that. And I said, well, why haven't you? He said, because you haven't stopped talking for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, this is what he said to me, he said, I went to become a... Um, what do you call him? Counselor, I'll call him. That'll do. Yeah, okay. But he went to the say twenty in twenty in the intake each year, and he was the only male of his intake. Right. And he said he didn't speak for a year. He just listened. Well, when you got nineteen women and one bloke, you wouldn't have much choice. <laughs> you wonder. You wonder why all your wives are leaving. <laughs> anyway, so he said that he just listened for a year, and he said it was a magnificent art to learn how to listen. And I've got to say, I haven't perfected that art, but but yeah, I do talk a lot, and even at dinner parties, people say that I do light the room up when I walk in, and I'm, there's never a pregnant pause, and I'm around. If you stop to 
know, take a breath or something, you're talking to me, I just pick up where you were and just carry on. So, But that's one of my weird little characteristics, so yeah. just, just what I am as a person. Yeah. I suppose you'd argue it's still be in good stead for hospitality. It's quite a useful tool to have. Yeah. What tools have you done or what, what have you done over the years to like to, you know, to make sure you, you stay in mentally good shape? I suppose it sounds like that, that relationship breakup with Ingrid was probably the low point of your life. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, no, 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 no. Dad died when I was 11. Nothing, okay. nothing can oh. ever match that. So, Jesus. And even now, if I start to think about dad for too long, I'll, I'll develop tears in my eyes. Mum wasn't so bad because I was a lot older when mum died and yeah. I kind of accepted it, you know, like mum was old too. Yeah. Back to your, your dad dying at 11 because I had um, Hayden Wilde, the um, the Olympian triathlete on the podcast mm. a couple of weeks ago. He got a bronze medal last year. Uh, his dad died in a... a a crop dusting accident when he was like 10 years old and we talked about that a little bit and he said he understands the magnitude of it now but at the time he was sort of too young to understand it did you sort of understand it at the time at 11 what a big deal it was or is it only when you look back now that you go no it's to me it was um all handled wrongly but it was the way it was in those days it's like in those days your parents used to smack you so you just accept you got smacked (laughs) no one would do it nowadays but back in those days um unlike now when someone dies like my grandmother died and even when mum died, you have an open coffin in the lounge and you, you it's part of the detachment process. You accept that the spiritual part of the person is gone. Right. You're only looking at a piece of, well, I don't want to sound crude here, but a piece flesh. of meat. Yeah. Just flesh. Yeah. The person's not there anymore. And when you realise that after a few days you detach and you're ready to put the top on the box and, and say goodbye and you know, give them one last kiss on the forehead. But with Dad, we weren't even allowed to go to the funeral. So there were seven kids. I was 11. <laughs> I was the second oldest. We weren't allowed to see him in hospital. Um, mum just handled it all on her own. And mum was only young. Mum was only 33. But she handled it. He had a stroke four years before. And um, he called me his right-hand man. I was the second eldest, so I was second boy. But um, he could call me Leo Johnny, my right-hand man. So there's still obviously a real, there's an issue there, which I've never had dealt with. And I don't know how I would deal with it. I don't know whether some sort of psychotherapy would help me deal with it. But I often used to, for years afterwards, lay in bed at night thinking it was a joke, that it didn't happen, mm. that he would just walk in the door one day and give me a big hug and say, ah, I tricked you, but mm. it never happened. So. Do, you think, do you think that's where some of the – because you're, um, you're like a brawler. Like you, are, you, you mentioned before you like, you like being in the, the, the boxing ring, um, and you are, you are quite brash and confrontational. Do you, th- do you think like, some of that sort of anger comes from just the, uh, the things really you've th- been – I don't even think it's anger. Yeah. I, I think I have um, – I have a huge amount of confidence, but I, I do have the unique ability to talk to everyone, and sometimes talking to people doesn't always evolve. And, um, yeah, you might think it's brash and confrontational. It's probably confrontation with the media, and the reason that is, it's a fairly simple explanation, is that when I came here in the late 90s, um, Julie had carved a blazed trail ahead of me. Oh, so this is your sister, Julie Christie, who made, yeah. uh, made a lot of money as yeah. the boss of Touchdown TV, made a lot of reality Multiple. TV so shows. She worked for mainstream television for yeah, Neil Roberts and stuff. And she's a dame now. She's a dame. Yeah, and she's, she's Fair to say she's done be- the best out of anyone in the family. Uh, that's a, a subject of considerable debate. <laughs> <laughs> it remains to be seen who goes to the grave with the most letters in front or behind their name, but okay. I'm pretty sure I'm still in front as we speak. So. <laughs> but anyway, so Julie had blazed a trail, but I think she may have made a few enemies along the way because Julie's fairly, um, I wouldn't say ruthless, but she's Julie does things Julie's way. and oh, She was a tough boss as well and uh, uncompromising. And I, yeah, so I when the media came to me with a toxic approach. So from day one when I arrived in town, when I did Euro, was the first significant impression I made in this city. So Euro, there's a big restaurant on Queen's Wharf, in, uh, like the Auckland Prince, Viaduct. Princess, Princess Wharf. Wharf. Yeah, so that was in the top 50 in the world the first year. So it did change the complexion of Auckland hospitality. But the media were never Leo-friendly. They never came to me on the basis of, hey, Leo, can you tell us a story? It was always... 
so-and-so said this about you, or what have you got to say about this? Or it was always a trap. They'd reach out to you and they'd ask you a rhetorical question. Oh, no, because they knew you gave good sound bites. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> if someone comes to me with a, with a question that's loaded, rhetorical, toxic, they're looking for it, they get what they come looking for. Yeah. And that's how I've always been. And as I said before, I can't act. So for the last sort of, since I've had mural aspirations since about July last year, I've tried to be more calm and controlled with the media, more tolerant. Um, COVID's been great for me because it's given me the opportunity, and the media have seemed to have accepted this, that there's a lot more to Leo Malloy than being some badass party boy, which I'm not anyway, as you know, but that's the picture they've always painted. You know, the, the well, enfant terrible, is that how you say it? The, I don't know, what is that? I've never heard that. It's that French saying for a little badass, you know, troublemaker, bad. <laughs> you know, but they say that about me, But the, or the ageing bad boy of hospitality. I said someone wrote the other day, Russell Brown, said, what I say? If you, to make it in Auckland, you need a certain amount of wanker, and there's no better example of a wanker in this town than Leo Malloy. <laughs> Which I wasn't offended by. I, know, I get the feeling you quite enjoy the notoriety. It doesn't bother me, yeah. No. I mean, at the end of the day, bald man, you are what you choose to show people. So people who know me well, like you, you know me, and you know that I'm not the, what the media painted me, but I choose to show the media yeah. that side. yeah. There, there's, there's, yeah, there's so much more I want to get into with the um, the mayoralty thing, including the why. But first of all, let, let's go back. So you, you you leave Palmerston North, you go to Auckland, you're running Euro, you're like the king of Auckland, right? That that restaurant was kicking ass. Oh, you're being a bit grand there. I wouldn't say king of Auckland. I was new in town, and there's a f- degree of fascination, but never king of Auckland. I mean, there was a lot of people who were. Um, oh no, that, that restaurant went off though. Like it was hard yeah, to yeah, get yeah, a table well, at Euro. Yeah, well, that's all true. But yeah. that, you don't you don't feel like you're the king. You still have to work. You still have to. You know, I, I'd, not long after I got married again, on May the 20th, oddly enough, um, the, it opened on August the 3rd, so seven months later I got married again, or yeah. nine months later, and when we had five kids in quick succession, so my hands are full. I never had any illusions about being the king of anything. Right. And, Jeez, your hands were full. Jeez, sounds like a lot of things were full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, so, you, so you, you're running Euro, then um, you ended up... Um, I think I came to visit you at that time from Palmerston North, and you, you were living in the sick pad in the Key West apartment building. Uh, once again, I think okay. you do have a way of um, being very grandiose in the way you describe things. Mm. Uh, I only rented that place right. in, in Key West, so I've owned a few places around here, and I bought a place up in Rimura Road at one stage. But, um, yeah, no, I don't think you want to get too carried away with that part yeah. of my life. I mean, I went broke not long after, don't forget. I did a nightclub <laughs> called Cardiac and spent a ridiculous amount of money thinking that I could do anything. So I did Danny Doolan's first, and I thought, wow, what can't I do? I did student bars, and they worked. I did a restaurant that worked. I did Danny Doolan's that worked, and I thought I could just do anything. So I um, I tried to be clever and do the best nightclub ever, you know, full of beautiful marble and toilets where you could do lines of shit in. And, and, you know. Oh, you could. I remember the toilets there. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, they, they were completely individual, and they even had a little shelf they, at the back. They, they had bonking rails where you right. could you know, leg each other up and fiddle with each other and <laughs> but, do whatever you do. But, but as but, someone who's making their money from alcohol, why is it a good idea to have, have well, line-friendly it, toilets? I wish I'd had you as my business manager because... <laughs> I don't know why, but I suddenly thought that the key to it was just to show everyone that you could do anything. And I took, I mean, I'm not a very big drinker, as you know. We've been sitting here for half an hour now, and I'm halfway through my first beer. And I'll probably have... You have been chatting a lot, so... Two or three. (laughs) This is me being normal, you know that. But when we did cardiac, so I had this vision that I could create something absolutely amazing that would change the town forever. But I'd never gone, did any research on nightclubs. I've been to Vegas and looked at all their nightclubs, and they had pretty good lighting. They had shit technology with cameras and stuff, but... It was kind of more about the DJ and pump, 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 and, and not, not my music scene at all. As you know, I'm still doing sort of palming-type music, a bit of Johnny Cash, a bit of Neil Diamond. A wagon wheel. Wagon, wagon wheel, wheel for life. Richie McCall, <laughs> wagon wheel. But, you know, I still I like my um, Motown and Soul on a Sunday and stuff, mm. but my, my music roots are fairly um, 70s, 80s. 
So, and I don't know what I, what I was thinking up there, but um, it didn't work from day one. The first. How week. long did it take bef- before you realised, oh shit, uh, we're one, in trouble one here? One weekend. Really? On the first weekend, I watched the cameras from home, because as you know, I don't go out at night, I'm always home early. And I watched the cameras and I rang, I had two junior partners and I rang them and said, we've made it big time, boys. I said, this is a phenomena. So um, when I went to look at the till data and I thought, no, that must be a mistake. Clearly they haven't um, cashed it off correctly. So I mm. went back and checked again and it was accurate. I knew then they... They didn't come to spend money on alcohol. Well, so then how long did it remain open for? Like, how long, how long do you um, hemorrhage money before, and try and fix it before you Well, like, I, I put another million in, I know that. Oh. And I kept putting it in. It was like a bleeding artery. And you keep thinking, will it ever turn around? And a couple of people who knew I was in a bit of bother reached out and tried to help me. But um, no, it, was, it was just a hopeless case. It was, like a, it was like a soldier laying in the battlefield and you're bleeding from every orifice. And at the end of the day, your mates just turn and walk away. So. Yeah. Geez, so matter when you bleed out. So, so did you end up bankrupt after that? Yes, I did. Yeah. So um, I lost everything. I had a mate give me a car, eight thousand dollars Toyota Ipsum. We called it the Lizard. It was a green car. <laughs> 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 oh my god, uh, that's good for humiliation. I actually sought the advice of a very wealthy man in town when it happened, and I said, "How do you see this unfolding from here?" He said, "Auckland has got one redeeming feature." He said, "They will forgive you." Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. They want to see humility. He said, You've got to drive a really bad car around and you've got to work, and you, people need to see you um, taking your punishment. Like eat a bag of dicks. They will forgive you. And, yeah. and sure enough, that's what I did. And they did. It mm. didn't take very long. A very, very, very good man. There's no chance he'll listen to this podcast unless someone refers him to it, but a chap called Mark Wyborn, who's been a friend for life. I'd met him not long before, and he came to me in the street one day, and he said, um, Auckland needs you big time. What do you need to get started again? And I said, well, I'm in a bit of bother. You haven't read The Herald? Mm. He said, that wasn't mm. the answer to the question. He said, I want to know what you need to get started again. And I said, I probably need an opportunity. He said, have you got one in mind? I said, well, I know a little sushi shop that's for sale, and if I could buy that... It might cost me this much to fix it, and I'll be away again. And he said, where do I send the money to? And I said, where do I sign? He said, you don't sign. You just shake my hand, and we do business. So mm. he sent 165000 to my lawyers that day, and I bought the bar that became Cowboys. Yeah, right, which is actually not far from where it's we're this, sitting right now. in this building. So yeah. I ended up owning two titles there. Uh, so that was an interesting experience because that got me back on my feet, and I learned my lesson. I never, ever made another mistake. I was just so focused. And um, within about a year of opening that, I did it all while I was bankrupt, but under the, the model was given to me by the official assidy. They said, if you do it all this way here, we'll support you 100%. And the deal was... Official like, assidy, is that a bankruptcy? Official assidy is the government agency that manages bankruptcy. Okay. So they said to me, like, this is how you're going to do it. This is exactly what you're going to do, and we'll support you 100%. So I did exactly what they told me. And um, I got it going, and it was absolutely flying. And about a year after I opened it, um, it kind of changed Auckland, um, in case you don't remember. It was very significant player in the hospital mm. sector. Yeah, and very a, small. Very small bar as well. 60 square metres. Yeah. So anyway, the bank ran me up and they said, why don't you buy that building? And it was the ANZ who I've been with for 40 years or 45 years now. And I said, um, 
do you not read the Herald? I'm bankrupt. They said, we don't care. We watch your daily receipts. We, we know how much money you're making, so go and buy the building. So I bought that title, and then I bought the one next door, and then um, Ingrid and I, or Ingrid, to give her credit, this was all her initiative, she bought a half acre out in Titarangi, and we subdivided that and built a new house, and before you know it, we're back on our feet, and I went to Mark Weibel, and I said, Mark, um, you know, you've done me the greatest favour of all time. You are my knight in shining armour, but now it's time to pay you back, and he wouldn't take the money. The 165? So wouldn't take it back. So I. What, do you mean, what was in it for him? He didn't even want his initial investment I think, back? I think because they were so strong in the Viaduct, Viaduct Harbour Holdings, and I'm still oh, a... Oh, okay. I think right. he thought, you know what, Leo has... This is what I'm thinking. He's never told me this, but this is what I'm thinking. He thought that... He said... I remember he said clearly, Auckland needs you. We need people like you in Auckland. So um, he probably thought that I had something to offer. I don't know whether he thought whether it was Viaduct-centric or whether it was just Auckland in general. But I'd like to think that I helped... Uh, Enhance the footprint of the viaduct, the impression the viaduct's made from in, in hospitality. But anyway, I want to tell you the story about Mark Wyborn. So I kept going back to him and saying, I have to give you this money back because by that stage, I was saving hard and we'd already managed to do something in Queenstown or we're about to do something in Queenstown. And yeah, another Cowboys. We were rapidly expanding yeah, and things yeah. were going so well for us and he wouldn't take the money back. And so I had to trick him. So I took him over the road over here to that industry's end, the Japanese place. And I took an envelope, and this is going so far back, we still had checks. I haven't seen a check for a long, long time. Mm. And I wrote a check out for the full amount, and I think I had a wee bit of interest, but not much, just to barely cover the whatever it was appropriate. And I said to him, please take this. It's just a letter. It's just a thank you, but I don't want you to open it until I leave. <laughs> so as I left, he opened it, and he called out to me, come back here. So I went back, and he said, I'll take it, but he said, I want you to know one thing. And I said, what's that, Mark? He said, I've done what I did for you at least a dozen, maybe 15 times. He said, I went through it too in 87 after the crash. Yeah, he said, right. But he didn't go. He said, the banks called him in and said, we could roll you if we wanted to, but we won't. There's enough blood on the streets already. So he said, you're only the second person ever to pay me back. But he said, most people don't, not only don't pay me back, they never even acknowledge the fact that I gave them the money, which I thought was bloody interesting. Cause and incredibly rude. Yeah, that's remarkable. Well, see, this is my Irish Catholic values, though, you know. Yeah. I mean, when mum brought us up with such staunch values and it goes to your bone, quite often you think to yourself now, um, what would I do? Oh, no, better still, what would mum do? You know, what would mum say? Mum had sayings, you know, never leave food on the table. Poor as we are, don't waste food. Um, mum would say things along the lines of... Um, what was it? Oh, judge a society by how you treat your most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's just simple stuff, but yeah. they're, they're good mantras by which you should probably live your life. And mm. I'd like to think that I haven't departed too far from those value systems. In a strange way, um, I've always been of the view that whatever happens in my life, something great comes of it. So if I'm going through, like when Ingrid left with the kids, it's, as you quite correctly observed, I went through a very difficult period. But I just knew somewhere on the horizon something great would happen for me again. And I did you, how did you? How could you be? Because I think that's the thing with people that suffer real mental illness or depression. They just can't can't see the end of that shit storm. Well, I've never doubted that it's going to happen. It's amazing how, um, do you call it serendipity, how it comes into your life? It's just extraordinary. Like, I wanted yeah. to talk about JJ today, and lo and behold, I opened my diary and I'd forgotten, and you were meeting with a podcast. It's weird how my yeah, life works. Right. It's always been that way. So after Ingrid and I split, we went through quite a protracted separation process through the High Court with a couple of lawyers, one of whom did neither of us any favours, but she was just doing her job. But she <laughs> drew it out and cost us all a lot of money and a lot of fees. And In the end, I was the one who settled it. I got an A4 bit of paper, put our assets on the left-hand side of the paper. I put the value on the right that I would pay for them. And I said to Ingrid and her flash lawyer, take this away for lunch and bring it back. And if you don't think I'm being fair, you decide what you want to buy and what you want to sell. What you sell, I will buy at the price I've listed. What you want to take, you take that. So Ingrid took Cowboys and Cowboys alone. 
debt-free, 250K in the bank, took the business, great business, mm, great, mm. great business. So she's set up for life forever. But she had the five kids and I was happy to do it. So I was back on the street effectively and I had nothing. and I had no opportunity. But guess what happened about a month later? What's that? I get a phone call from Viaduct Tarba Holdings. Can you come and talk to us? So I got the opportunity again. And here I am still there five years later. Who knows where that's going to end? But that's a bizarre thing because I had nothing. And suddenly I've got everything again. Mm. Has that been a good business for you, even in spite of the uh, challenges with um, the pandemic over the well, last co- couple COVID of years? has been a, uh, you yeah. might as well not have traded through COVID. Right. You know, that COVID is a nightmare for everybody. But of course it's been a great business for me. You know, I mean, I've done some things there that uh, if I'd, it's easy to have, you know, with the wisdom of hindsight is easy. But I'm not really a rear vision mirror person. I'm a front one screen person. So it's organic, the way it's grown, the way it's changed, what it's achieved. But it's definitely changed the landscape of New Zealand hospitality. Some of the figures that it does are staggering. It comes at a high cost, though, because there's 80-odd staff over there full time and even more in summer. And that is quite taxing. You're effectively running five businesses simultaneously. And I run my businesses very pyramid shaped. You know, when I go to war, there's only one person in command. There's Mm -hmm. not not a group of 10 to pick from or share the responsibility with. I'm in the trenches on my own, so mm. um, I take a lot on. But yes, it's been great for me, and I've enjoyed the hit, the moment. I've enjoyed the ride. I'm 66 next week, and um, wow, what are, you, what are you spending your pension on each week? A few kids, hundred bucks. Go straight there. to the kids. Really? I don't see it. Go straight <laughs> to the kids. My 20, my daughter's 20 today. Amelia Jane Cecilia. If Mouse is listening, hi Mouse. Dad loves you. But Mouse has just decided she wants to take up riding, which is a curse because um, I'm obviously a rider of some extraction. <laughs> and so Mouse calls me last week or goes through her sister George and says, tell Dad I've found the boots that I want. What sort of boots are they? They're R.M. Williams with a little inverted heel thing on them. They're very trendy and flashed up. And what are they? They're five ninety five. Oh, and I need jodfers and I need a skull cap. So, so and, and 120 bucks a lesson. So uh, just when you think, you can, <laughs> I know, I know. And I've got five of them, five of them. Three at university and two still at secondary school. And they're all expensive. They all do rowing and all the bloody whatever kids do who feel entitled. And We've got to get to the mayor thing. But if you come, become mayor, yeah, that's going to be a substantial pay cut from being the boss of headquarters. Well, oh, man, I'm not doing it for the money. I oh, I know, it. I know. Except, but you, so you, I've got you, other assets, though. So right. we, we bought that building that O'Hagan's is in. Um, we bought that about nearly three years ago now. And their, their lease expires this year. So... Um, I mean, to, without being too much of a wanker, I don't really need to work again if I don't want to. Okay. Um, I probably will because I like work, but, but I could just sit back and do nothing, probably go up to Rarotonga and buy a place on the beach and spend five months a year up there and seven down here and just go back and forward and be quite happy. Yeah, you, you wouldn't be very good at sitting still, would you? I'm you not like, a sit-still I, I feel like you, yeah, you, yeah. you need a project, you need something to do. Yeah. Well, I've got a good work ethic, and I, I never, ever, ever have to say to myself, get out and go and do some work. Yeah. You know, I'm more of the persuasion that I have to say to myself, go home and chill and rest and yeah. spend some Leo time. But I've learned in recent years, mum was a great go to bed and listen to Radio Pacific person, so which was you know incredibly banal t- um, talk back. You know, this is Barbara here from Tamuka. They haven't fixed the <laughs> potholes in the road outside my house for three and a half fucking years. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> mum loved that shit. And I used to say to mum, how can you listen to that rubbish? But I find myself doing it now with ZB. And more importantly, though, I love geopolitics and I like things like epidemiology. So mm. I like going home now at 8 o'clock every night. I have a process that I go through to wind down before I go to sleep and I'm very structured in the way I live mm. my life. So. Are you lonely now? No. I could, no. I could within reason, you know, have a you – know, I've never been short of girls in my life and, and I've just had a, I had a girlfriend for nearly three years and she decided she wanted to – Go and do other things, which I was a hundred percent happy with, and we're still mates. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm absolutely definitely not lonely. Okay. Um, au contraire, you know, I could have them lined up ten deep if I wanted to. But <laughs> oh, come on! Well, I could, but I don't know why. But girls like the pattern; they like the charm. And in our Facebook profiling, surprise, surprise, woman forty-five to sixty are my biggest fans. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, I feel like that's um that's one thing you you and me have in common, apart from the fact that we're um yeah, not very well endowed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen you in the shower, <laughs> man. We're both um cut from that sort of cloth where people may form a, an opinion about you, and then when they meet you, you generally like prove them wrong. So, okay, so that's a funny thing you should say that because I've had to do a little bit of media doing the rounds, and I did a piece with um a fella from the Herald, and it was forty five minutes, and we sat outside in the coffee shop opposite NZME, and we did the chat thing like we're doing now, and he listened to my story. And at the end of it, you could see he was staring at me, and you could just tell he was looking deep and saying, what's going on there? And I said, what are you thinking? And he goes, you're just not what people think you are. And I said, well, why do you say that? He said, you're so like Chloe Swarbrick. And I said, well, don't quite see how I'm like Chloe Swarbrick, but put the piece of the puzzle together for me. He said, everybody has a preconceived idea about you, Leo. Everybody. He said, until they meet you, and everybody comes away with the same impression, you're just not what people think you are which I would attribute largely to the fact that I've let the media paint a picture of me for a long time, that I'm not a particularly nice person. You've given them exactly what they want. Well, maybe maybe you, you dance to the tune they wanted to. But you, they're pretty poor at fucking painting, right. is all I'll say. But I feel like the media's come to you because they know, they know they're going to get a good soundbite off well, you. Well, they do say that. They once told me, the guy from the Herald said, there's four things, and I can only remember two of them, that, that we, everybody wants to see as a lead story in the Herald. One's Leo Malloy and one's the Royal Family. I can't think what the other two were, but I think COVID might be one of them. And I said, why the fuck do you bother? Why do you ring me? You know, why do you? He said, because we know if we ring you, that about ten minutes later we'll have the recording device on, and you'll finally come up for breath. And somewhere in that in that secret, I'll tell you who told me this. The guy from the spin-off told me that story. He said people have this weird view of you, and then he said he took the story. He wrote a story about me. That he won some sort of prize for. I don't know what it was for. Probably the Kamara story of the year or something. But anyway, he took it back to his work, and he said everybody at the office said they thought you were a right cock until they. Did the, I did the interview and they read the story and said and they all changed their mind which is interesting So, but that's yeah. a fairly, fairly typical response I agree fully and sitting down with you today I do feel like you've mellowed a little bit I, I, I would have said I have, you, you're one of those people that like, the fabric of you hasn't changed much since I've known you in like 30 years but I do feel like um, the edges are a little bit softer now maybe. Okay, well, if is that, that is, an insult? <laughs> no, no, it's not an insult at all but if that, that is true that would be incremental so I'm not aware of it it just it would creep up on you over a period of time and I suppose isn't it natural that any person as they get older gets slightly more mellow? Yeah, okay, is, l- l- let's, okay, let's Talk about that for a second. So this was um, yeah, Grace Mullane who was murdered by this um, this piece of shit called Jesse Kempson. Uh, yeah, and you you breached the suppression order. It did look like on the the footage we saw on the news that you kind of you kind of enjoyed your day in court. It looked uh, like you're off for a day at Ellerslie. I had nothing to apologise for. I did it for the right reasons. I thought about it. So Jesse Kempson worked for my sister Julie at Oyster and Chop. Yeah, and there he met Millie Rose, who's the daughter of my younger sister Trace. So. And then he flattered. The one they always reference that he flattered with in Mount Eden, that's Millie Rose. So she right. ended up marrying a cop. So we had our finger on the pulse of exactly what was happening with Jesse Kempson all the time. I knew he had the nine further charges pending. I knew he had judge only trials penciled in. I knew he had two further charges of rape. I knew he had assault with a deadly weapon. I knew so, so, yeah, so that's why there was the suppression thing, because they didn't want it to but how, tarnish how, how the could, other... How, how could it be compromised when he had a judge only trial? And do you know how many days he got added to a sentence? He got 17 years for the brutal murder. That was the most despicable slut-shaming ever of a victim. Grace Mullane was dead, and they slut-shamed her in the judicial system. Simon Moore, the judge at the time, and I don't care if he listens to this, it doesn't bother me one ounce. This, what, what they did to Grace Mullane's family was disgusting. On the third day of that trial, Gillian Mullane and David Mullane, God bless his soul, he's dead now, died of cancer, probably from stress. Gillian Mullane walked out of the High Court, and some impertinent young journalist probably just left you know, journalism school the week before, shoved one of those little microphones that looks like a dead mouse up under her nose and said, how are you feeling, Mrs. Mullane? Mm. And she said, and I, this nearly makes me cry, I've got three daughters and three sisters, right? She said, I thought I came to New Zealand to see the 
the murder of my daughter on trial. I didn't realise it was my daughter who was on trial. They had the opportunity at any time to step in and say, a lot of that evidence should have been suppressed. That was never for public consumption. It's a disgrace what they did to Grace Malone, and it never should happen again. And if I got a conviction out of it, big deal. Mike Bush was commissioner of police. He carried a conviction through his entire career. didn't hurt him. Mm. I, 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 know it, I know it came from a great place. Yeah, but, but, do, I, but, do, you, do, but do you sort of regret it now? Do you think oh, I, I should have just... What is there to regret? So, no regrets. No regrets. And I'll tell you, what, not only no regrets, wear it proud and wear it loud. I just don't yeah. care. I mean, I go to the US of A every second year to a VIC conference. I've already checked with them. They said it's not a crime of moral turpitude. You're free to go. I haven't tried Australia yet, but I've been to the Cook Islands. How's it going to impede me? What do yeah. they achieve? Seriously, what do they achieve? They shut up a few people on the internet. You can go on the internet now and say, who killed Grace Malone? Oh, yeah, well, the, yeah, the name's out there in the public domain The name's now, always they, out there. Yeah, yeah. It, and I put it on a private website, but, and they estimate 20 people saw it. Yeah. Really? They just cherry-picked me because I'm Leo Malloy. You're they, a bigger target. They thought they could beat up on Leo Malloy. Good fucking luck. Yeah. Who can beat up on me? How many people have fucking tried? It's only ever ends one way. It ends in tears, and I never mind. Yeah. There, there he goes. See, five minutes ago I said I thought you'd mellowed. I just hadn't, I hadn't poked the bear in the right place. No, it was just a bizarre notion that they could somehow hurt yeah. me. You know, how could they hurt me? With a fine? Big deal. With a bit of um, community work? Big deal. Yeah. You know, I, I spend my life doing community work, as you know, so they couldn't hurt me. And then they wanted me to be hurt. I mean, I, I had a judge come and see me the other day. He's a very nice chap. Yeah. But the judge came to me and said, you must be hurting a bit. I said, hey, you can't fucking hurt me. Good luck. You smack me in the nose, it might fucking hurt me for about two seconds, but mm. there's just no chance you could hurt me with that sort of behaviour. Yeah, I'm oh, not no, I, 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 I disagree. I think you're a little bit hurt by that. No, I'm not. You, oh, yeah. s- you just said that I look like a little bantam rooster going to court <laughs> with my pink jacket on. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, come on. I didn't care, man. No, okay. I, okay well, that's all good. I care about is that I, I feel sorry for Gillian Mullane. I'd yeah. love to meet her one day and apologise for the way the New, Ze- New Zealand judiciary. Sanctioned the slut shaming of her daughter. It's a disgrace yeah. what they did. Absolute yeah. disgrace. And it should never happen again. I hope they all learned their lesson. And I hope I had a very small part to play in teaching them that you should show respect. That was a, she was a young girl, Grace. She was just feeling her way, you know, as I said before, explore, exploring the outer limits of her sexuality. She became a victim of a serial killer. Mm. He, he would have been a serial killer. Yeah, he's a dangerous man. He's a dangerous man. And I've spoken to people since who worked in corrections, and they all tell me the same thing about him. He's just a psychopath. Yeah. He is absolutely no good. And I don't believe in capital punishment, but if I was going to ever put someone to the sword, he'd be the person that I'd put to the sword. Come Let's, on, keep going. I, <laughs> no, no, I feel, I feel like that's um, yeah, that's case closed on that one. Yeah. Okay, all right. Let's talk about the um, the mayoralty thing. First of all, um, why the fuck do you want to do this? Like you, I feel like you you are at your best. I told best. you before. I told you before the reason why, and I'll say it again in front of the microphone. Because I never take the easy option, I never turn left if turning right is the correct option, the hard option. Even Steve Hansen, my matter of disclosure, he's a personal friend, but I heard him give a small speech one night to a group of people at a barbecue at a dinner party, and he was talking about people in life who always turn right, and he used Richie McCraw as an example, and just for the sake of a combo, he threw me into the combo. He said, look at the fellow beside me. He said, he always turns right. I will never, ever, ever take the easy option. I don't care what it costs me personally, what it cost me in terms of physical pain, what it cost me in money, I will always do the right thing. I always have and I always will. And I told you before the metaphor for how I feel about the mineralty. I feel like I'm walking home late at night and I'm watching 10 guys beating up one bloke and the bloke's down on the ground and he's still getting his head kicked in. I'm never the guy who's going to walk past. I'm going to step up to the plate and take the 10 of them on. And I know I won't win, but I'll do it. 
I'm that guy. I always have been. But I, f- I feel like you're, you're at your best where you're, where you're like um, a dictator. And I don't say that in a mean way. I mean it in a, a, like a, running a business way. Like you can call the shots and you can make shit happen. I feel like if you're mayor, you're just one voice. It's going to grind you down, isn't it? No, that's you, not true. You, no, I, th- I feel like you're going in with good intentions, but you're not going to be able to do as... Well, if you understand the super city model, it's... I wouldn't say it's presidential, but the super city model is, with the CCOs, the way they're set up, it lends itself to a person like me who's a natural leader of men and women, um, of all people, but who actually can get things done. It gives you the opportunity to get things done. It was written by the Nats for a person who's fiscally responsible. As it happens, I'm socially liberal too, so I have a lot of appeal across the spectrum. But seriously, Baldwin, I don't see it as being a, a difficult exercise at all. I mean, there'll be two or three people in council who will, in the first instance, say, we don't like them, we don't want to work with them. Once they get to meet me like you have, yeah, you know, like everybody does, yeah. they'll fall in love. I'll take them to the gym. I'll let them give me a hiding if I feel like it. Probably give a couple of them a hiding. <laughs> I might take them out for a run and fucking terrorise them up and down One Tree Hill or something. But I'll, I'll make them, you know, I'll show them a different side of life and I'll show them Sometimes it's not about, you can't just have lines in the sand that says I'm left or I'm right or I'm black or I'm white. Yeah. Life's not binary. You know, if you're coming from the left but you happen to think that something from the right is correct, you've got to agree to traverse the boundary. And there'll be occasions when I'll have to do it too. I'll have to bend with the wind a wee bit here and there. But I absolutely know that I'll get things done. And look who you've had. You've had back to back, back to back, leg over Len Brown or whatever you want to call him, pants down <laughs> Len Brown. <laughs> then you've had the cardboard cutout, Phil Goff. I mean, what's he fucking done? He's, had, he's hardly yeah. even appeared. I've seen him once out in the normal community in six years. I, I challenge you to find a person who's met or fraternised yeah. a Phil yeah. Goff. So, and I'm a man of the people. I will never. I've already been offered personal security, and I've said no. I don't ever want to be the person who needs security. I'll happily wander around town on my own. I'll shake everyone's hand. I'll have a selfie with them. I think about 400,000 people have my phone number now. I've got no intention of changing my phone. So, but I'll, I will be a good mayor. I'll be a great mayor because I'll make a difference. Who's your main competitors? Who are your, who are your big threats? Um, big threats? Oh, God. Uh, who's a threat? Let me think. No, like, who's, like if there were TAB odds, who's, who's, who's like the favourite? Are, well, are you the favourite or are you like the outsider? Get, I'm favourite to get the gold, favourite to get the silver and favourite to get the bronze. I think there's only one place on the podium. I don't think anybody else is a contender for the title. Efeso Collins, who appears to be a very nice chap, uh, south side of town, evangelical background. Um, I've watched his profile. I've watched him um, FaceTiming on Facebook. He's interesting to watch. I think he's genuine. Uh, he's not actually a bad speaker either, I might add, but he's very limited in his appeal across the entire spectrum. He's very labour-oriented, very left, and he's very pro-rates increases, which I don't think the city has an appetite for. Oh, nobody does, no. And from the centre-right, um, it's hard to say who she represents, but Viv Beck, who's normally associated with the heart of the city, she's okay. put herself forward. I don't quite understand what the represents or where she thinks she's going to get right. her voting support from. Right, and who's um who's Craig Lord? Because I, I saw a thing on Twitter. Uh, he he shared a, like a screen, a screen cap. Was this a text message that you sent to him? Do you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about? So this guy Craig Lord, you sent him a, a text message saying, um, um, "Ha ha, Craig, who? See you later." Well, <laughs> let, let, let's agree on one thing. He got 30,000 votes once when there was absolutely no competition. This time he's got real competition. He comes from a speedway background, I'm told. His nickname is Sooty, so I know far too much about him. You know, I've never met the guy. There'd be more chance of finding an iceberg in the middle of the Sahara than there would be of him fucking becoming mere. <laughs> right. So, I'll say it again. Don't say that F word. I'm just being coached in the background. Yeah. Can, can we delete all those F words? I don't mean that. I'm just being affectionate. Can you say the F word in an affectionate way? I can't edit all of them out. That'll be, a, that'll be an edit, editing nightmare. Maybe uh, if, if you've listened to this and you've listened to all the mural stuff and there's no F bombs during the mural <laughs> stuff, you know that I've done an editing job. Um, oh, so, yeah, so Craig Lord, so were you just like, like taunting him for nothing? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> what do you, you know? know I mean, you have a, a relationship with sport. Them. No, it's a blood sport, and, and I love blood sports. So I was born for blood sports. So, you know, politics and boxing, they're just different versions. Yeah. One's physical and one's sort of like a theoretical thing. So, so if he wants to jump in the beer pit with me, good luck, you know. What sort of advice can you give a person like him? He's got no chance of winning. He's going to get mauled. It's only a matter of how badly. Will he survive it? Possibly. Mm. Will he be bruised and battered? Definitely. And he might as well start licking his wounds now. And <laughs> he might as well save himself some money and go and do what he does best, which I understand is driving some sort of stock cars. Or right. something, so. Now, you said he, he got 30,000 30, votes last time around. What's a, what's a good number of votes? I've got absolutely no idea. To, to be honest, in, in previous previous um, like council elections, I go through the book and uh, you, you don't know any of the any of the councillors that you're voting for. If mm. you recognise someone's name, maybe you give them a tick. For the mayoral campaign, if you recognise the name, so you So what do you a... think about recognition then in terms of Leo Malloy? If you were looking at a voting paper, if your current girlfriend, I'm not sure which one it is because you seem to rotationally graze these days, but <laughs> <laughs> different paddock every day, but that's fine, that's your business, you're a single man now. But, but you open up your little orange envelope and it says um, you've got a choice of names to pick from, so let's run through a couple. Well, I'm, I'm voting for you because I, I've known you for 30 yeah, years and, and I know you. And you're a sensible man, you're well informed. So let's go, let's start with Vanilla Viv Beck. Do you know Vanilla Viv? <laughs> no, well, I, I don't, but I suppose if she's from no, like that's a political... Fine, that's yeah. fine, yeah. So Efeso Collins, you know Efeso Collins? Uh, from from Labour. Yeah, Labor, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah. not well known on your No, right. not like a Phil Goff. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone like Leo Malloy? As I, as I said, I've known you for 30 years, and I know that you're, you're loyal. But you don't live in a complete bubble. So yeah, you yeah, know yeah. how media works, you know of how course. Auckland works. So where does Leo Malloy sit on the radar of Auckland life? Where well, do you th- well, I think that's the thing that could work. But, oh, I was going to say it could work for you or against you, but probably more for against you, your, your reputation. Well, I, I, all I would well, say is this. The 16% who don't like me, and every single right. person who doesn't like me, voted Green in the last election. So we've done the retrospective analysis. Every person who voted Green doesn't like me, right. without exception. Yet I have the best Green policies. I'm Green Hydrogen driven. I'm a firm believer in Green Hydrogen as a convergence of technologies for the future. So I have great Green policies, but they just have these preconceived ideas based around what the media say, yeah. the fabrications of the media. But as things unfold, as it evolves, the mural campaign, more and more people will get the opportunity to listen to what I have to say or see me live or meet me in person and they all change their mind. So we have a hardcore, we think, about 15% who totally support me. That translates to about 100,000 votes. We need about 120,000 to win it, so right. we're nearly there. There's a massive, there's a fluid pool of about 50% undecided, but the reality is that they're going to come across, uh, they're going to side with the person who's most eloquent, who's best informed, who's the best debater, and we can win it with resources as well. Mm. So there's a multitude of reasons why people will swing my way toward the end. Mm. How, much, how much money are you going to have to pump into this? How much, you how much have you got? I know how much you got paid when you were a jock. <laughs> You're on like 800 grand a year, I know. So. I'm a podcaster now. Yeah, just I just appreciate the free beer you've I given me I don't need much, today. I don't need much. No, no, what, what do you reckon? What's it going to cost? Like 100 grand? A couple hundred no, no, grand? No, that's what not polite to talk about that stuff. But it's not? Okay. No, you're a long, long, long way short, but it's not okay. polite. Wow. We, don't, we don't talk about how you're resourced because yeah. and not every candidate has the same resources at their disposal and it's unfair to, to, to talk okay. about that. And um, I, just before we sat down for this chat, I um, met you in your bar, HQ, and all the staff are wearing um, T-shirts, and one of them kindly gave me one, Leo Malloy for Mia. Are they, uh, do they have to wear those shirts? No, or don't they, be silly, that would be ludicrous. <laughs> I don't ask anybody or tell anybody to wear anything. We give away about 200 a week. And I just found out what they cost today. I've ordered yeah. another 1300 What are they, like 10 bucks each, 15 bucks each? No, they're like miles more than that. Really? It's ridiculous how expensive they are. Right. I've been telling people, take one, take two, take five, whatever. Yeah. And I've just got told today, I said, what's that bill for the week for T-shirts? I think it was nine grand for the week or something. Yeah. And I've ordered 1300 more so far. And I said to Michelle today, my admin lady, no more. That's it. Namas. No 
I, I, I asked about the shirts and your stuff wearing it because I thought I think it says a lot. Like, um, no, no, I mean, the, Matt knows, you know, Matt McCartan, my campaign manager, he comes from a union background. And anybody who digs deep on me will tell you the same thing. My staff are so loyal and they love me because I'm a genuinely good they boss. Do. I'm they very kind that. to them. And I've never asked one of them to wear that t shirt. They mm. decided that they made an elective decision themselves, which I totally support for obvious reasons. But I've never once asked one of them to wear it. So, but they 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 are all part of this ride as well. So we're in this walker together, and we're all paddling in the same direction. Yeah. Oh, you're you're a good boss, and you're a good person, and anyone that knows you knows that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I I want to reiterate that. Can you say it one more time? <laughs> I actually like the sound of it. How good am I, really, bull man? I've always been great to you. How many thirty five years? I lent you my soft top. You stained <laughs> yeah, yeah. the seats. You stained the seats. <laughs> I did not. It was Aoli from the KFC. <laughs> all right, Leo Malloy, former mayor, good mayor, not nightmare. Hopefully. No, I'll be a great mayor. I will change the city. I have a vision that no mayor before me has had. Maybe John Logan Campbell going back a few years, and funnily enough, he was a doctor as well. But I think I'll, I'll give it nine years of my life, and I'll give it everything I've got, and I'm not interested in the money. I'm only interested in changing Auckland to make it a better place. To my view, Tamaki Makaro has deserved its place on the Pacific Rim as one of the glittering diamonds, and we have sadly gone through a period where we've been brought to our knees by a multitude of factors, but I'm absolutely determined to put us back where we belong, to make it a great, great city, and Long after I'm gone, I would like to think that people will reflect on it and go, you know what, we might have doubted him when he first took over, but no one doubted him after. And I'm pretty sure I can say with some honesty that there's already sections or sectors of the media who are becoming, arriving at that conclusion now, saying, you know what, he's going to be a great mayor. And you promise you'll never have sex in the Nati, Nati Fatoa room? Is that what it's called? What was the room? Nati Fatoa, Nati Fatoa, <laughs> sacred room. I would absolutely love to if I could, but I've got to say, when you're approaching 66, the mind may be willing, but the flesh is weak, trust me. You can still dream about it, but that's where it begins and that's where it ends. <laughs> and that's where this will end. Leo, love you, mate. Thanks. Love you too, Ballman. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.